right, welcome back to the show. I'm with my man Chris Wade. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm I'm quarantined and uh, back in Rochester, New York. So uh, doing it all over again. And <laughs> so in Italy, <laughs> Italy, I was on lockdown for about two months, and now I'm back. And wow. you got the two uh, hot spots. New York and, and Italy. Who would have thought? And how are you? Where are you currently? Uh, I'm doing all right. I am in Austria, uh, Dornbirn to be specific. Uh, it's on the west side. So most people think of Austria. Well, I'll say the first thing they think about is Australia. So no, there's no kangaroos here. Okay. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, a lot of people think about Vienna. Vienna is actually about eight hours from us. Um, so we're on the west side, very close to Switzerland, very close to Germany and about two hours from Italy. Let's let's dive in. Uh, first thing I want to bring up around, of course, your your journey with fashion is uh, your grandmother, her impact on you in regards to fashion. Hey, well, uh, to tell you the truth, she died uh, when I was young. Um, she had Alzheimer's, uh, but I was able to meet her a few times. My uh, my uncle or my I should say my great aunt. Her and my grandmother had a little boutique themselves in New York City. When we would go to New York, we would go downstairs in her basement and they would have all these clothes on these racks. And, you know, of course, we're always asking our parents, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, my dad explained more over time. Hey, they have this boutique and they go into the city and they buy, you know, wholesale clothes. They have these a specific clientele that they work with. They go and they pick out clothes for them and then they have these little parties. So the the ladies will come over, you know, they'll have wine, they'll have champagne, they'll try on the clothes and, you know, they'll buy from your aunt and your grandmother. Growing up, I really didn't think too much about it until I started getting more into fashion. And I was like, you know what, this is something that's kind of in the family. So I'm going to see, you know, one where I can kind of take this because this is an interest that I have. And it was refreshing to learn because I've been really one track minded on baseball for my entire life. I know I wanted to do something business wise, but everything was just art projects, mm-hmm. book reports, everything was just straight baseball. Yeah. And it was refreshing to learn to learn about this new passion that I had and how it had roots within my family. That was really cool. And and so now I feel like um, I'm kind of carrying on that legacy and and with me trying to start my brand anyways, my love it brand. I'm hoping I can take what they had, I believe it was called House of Squires, um, and utilize that some way as well as I continue to grow in this industry. How long did the boutique stay open? Is it still open till today or did how long did it continue? Um, that is something I'm not actually sure about. Um, I can tell you when I do go to New York now, uh, okay. my, grandma, my great aunt still has racks of clothes in the basement yeah. so um there could still be something going on there and I, and I have had a few conversations with her just about how they did business or where they went in the city how they got um you know the wholesale licenses or the the licenses to be able to go in and buy clothes wholesale in the city so maybe she's doing some things with some some private clients or some private customers whether she is or she's not i know that the roots are still there I got drafted by the Marlins in 2010, and we were stationed at a Hilton Garden Inn in West Palm Beach, Florida, or Palm Beach Gardens, to be mm-hmm. exact. And across the street, there's a very high-end mall, so Tiffany's and Gucci and Louis Vuitton and all mm-hmm. this. So, and during your time in rookie ball, you have a lot of off time. 
you're pretty much at the field from about 6 a.m. before you start playing games. You're there from about 6 a.m., 6.30, somewhere maybe around 11 and 12. Even when you start playing games, the games are over by maybe about two. So you go back to the hotel, you're always looking for things to do. So we just constantly be in the mall. So I would constantly be going in these high-end shops just to figure out what what makes these these this clothing high-end. I remember during my time, a few years later, because uh, I traveled around to a bunch of different teams within the Marlin system. That was kind of my role was just a journeyman. And um, I remember we got a care package when I was in AA Jacksonville. We got a care package from a host family and a guy had gotten injured and gone down. So his host family just kind of picked me up and gave me a little mm-hmm. package. And there were two GQ magazines in it. And I remember, you know, middle school, high school, you know, people think about GQ and it's a lot of different types of, of slurs that that yeah. can come about with, oh, you know, a person reads GQ or you're this or you're that. And for a 12 hour bus trip with two magazines, I was like, you know what, I'm at least going to look and see what's going yeah. on. I think I read them from cover to cover the entire time. I mm-hmm. couldn't even take my eyes off it. And when I got home that for that off season, I told my mom, I said, hey, I think I want to get into um, some modeling. And so there was a school in Fort Wayne and I decided I was going to go and just take some classes so I could learn a little bit more about how modeling work, how the industry worked. And from that, went back to play baseball. Then the next year came home and I said, "Okay, I did. You know, I learned more about modeling and men's personal development and color schemes and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So now I want to take it up a notch. And that's when I decided to uh, sign up for a company. It's called Jay Hilburn, where they sell custom and made to measure shirting and suits. And so I said, you know what? All right, I'll be a personal stylist and I'll take that route and see where right. that goes. And so I, and a lot of their factories are, uh, are in Italy. And so just learning about that company, what, how they manufacture their clothing, where the clothing came from, where the fabrics were from, what made these fabrics nice, that kind of ignited more of a sense of, man, there's so many aspects to this industry and what makes clothing clothing that I really want to dive into. And then from there, it just kind of took off, especially when I came out here, got a lot of off time. I said, you know what, let me just, let me start a blog. I got all these clothes. Let me try to do something with them and started really small, putting them on my personal Instagram page. And then I said, you know what, let me make a website and start writing about it a little bit more. And and that's how Love It Lifestyle became what it is today. I can totally relate to the downtime and finding Mm -hmm. something you're passionate in when when you're a pro. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for some of us, we have a lot of downtime, especially overseas. So when you started to explore this this new world, of course, of fashion, what was some of the the negatives from, you know, because you're an athlete? you know, around guys and everything. Mm-hmm. How was that taken with, you know, with the different people that you were around saying, hey, I'm going to go into fashion. I'm going to be mm-hmm. a model. Well, baseball is a very interesting sport in that it's very blue collar and it's very conservative. Um, so I'd say from that perspective, you might get some pushback. But a lot of people within that realm or even where I grew up in the Midwest don't really care necessarily about the clothing that they wear. What I found when I went to professional baseball is it was a mix of, you know, there's still Midwesterners, Southerners, you know, some blue collar people that really didn't care much about what they wore. And then meeting more people from, you know, California or New York 
people where this is kind of a part of their everyday life. And then mixing that in with being around guys that are actually in the big leagues that have money to spend on, you know, high fashion quality clothing. Uh, so it was an interesting mix and a, and a different array of of how people saw what I was trying to go into or what I was trying to do. And I think what I pulled out of it the most from talking to people coming from those different areas is one, you know, what do the Midwesterners care about? Is there one thing that they always have to have or just Mm -hmm. looking at their style and seeing how can they maybe implement some more of the Cali style or how can you be a little bit more classy and get some more Mm -hmm. New York style or, you know, the big leaguers just buy all these nice clothes, but are they, do they really have nice style or are they just really buying nice clothes? Just started trying to think about all of those aspects. And so or I would also hear those different aspects is, oh, I like this because it's like that. Or I like this because it's like that. So I learned more about the about functionality and how people's minds are working uh, when it comes to style. And I, and I think that for me is the most intriguing part is for some people it's zero, for some people it's 100. On both of those scales, that's what really kind of made me want to dive in and especially wanting to create my own brand is, OK, how do I try to combine all these into more of a story. Got you. How did your attire, your your wardrobe change from the IU days? I mean, because what I remember, <laughs> <laughs> we perceive the baseball guys as like the preppy dressers. You know, mm-hmm. you have the, the basic, either it's like a polo button up and the, mm-hmm. the khakis. I wouldn't say it was, what I would say is the, I pay more attention to the details now. So to give you an example, while I was at IU, I might say, okay, I want to wear this yellow polo shirt with these jeans that might be a little bit baggier and, you know, a pair of sneakers. Nowadays, it might be I'm going to wear a pair of tailored jeans. I'm not necessarily going to wear the basic yellow polo shirt. I might go Mm -hmm. find something that's a little lighter yellow or has a different texture and and instead of sneakers, um, or Sperry's, which we used to wear a lot yeah. back in the day, too, especially <laughs> where I grew up. Um, but maybe find some nice casual loafers or mm-hmm. some wingtips or some boots or just something a little bit different to throw it off. And so that's kind of where I started elevating. But I would say the the core of what I wanted to do or what a lot of baseball players do is still there. And I think that's the great thing about style is you're going to be influenced by a lot of different things. It's just how you tweak those a little bit with with your own personality over time. And so that's what I would say is the most drastic. It's just the way that I think about it instead of, oh, I just want a yellow polo. I need to go get polo. Now it's I'm trying to look at 20 different types of yellow polos and what they're made out of and all of that to put that type of style together as as Mm -hmm. a baseball player like. I love my hats. That's the one thing that has stayed constant, I think, not only for myself, but other baseball players that I know as we get older. That's one thing that's just you can never go wrong wearing that cap. I definitely I like I like a lot of hats, too. Um, mm. That's something I, I look for. Different types of dad hats, especially with my dreads. You know, when yeah, the, exactly. hair, the hair is not twisted. I need that hat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hat. So I have a I have a homeboy. Um he started intellectual athlete. I think I tagged you guys in a post on, on IG mm-hmm. a while back. And 
uh, his thing, you know, he's an Afri- African-American guy, played basketball, mm-hmm. played pro. And his thing was, you know, growing up, it wasn't cool to be the preppy black kid or the the, the nerdy black kid. Yes. Um, what was your experience in regards to the black community? Because, you mm-hmm. know, during back in the day, the style was much different. It was more mm-hmm. so the baggy clothes and, you know, wearing, you know, the certain types of sneakers. Exactly. It, was, it wasn't the same as of now. When I started high school, so I went to public school for about maybe 12 years. I'm trying to think all the grades in my head right now, but I was in public school for a really long time. And so that's how we dressed in public school. So I had jerseys, you know, baggy pants and all my shoes and all of that. Um, Now, I still wasn't as into it as, as some of the other guys were. And I knew there were some differences in what my style was and what other people style was at least within the black community so like if we're wearing a jersey you know we're looking at the the football teams at a time you know ohio state everybody ohio state jerseys and university of miami jerseys even in the nfl you got you know michael vick and all of that i remember i had a mike vanderjack jersey because i wanted to kick at the time so (laughs) there was still always a little bit of a difference i was still always willing to kind of go out on a limb and be on my own page but when I went to private school, we had a dress code. And so we had to wear a collared shirt every day. We always had to wear khakis or khaki shorts. Over that, having come from public school and gone into private school where there was a uniform, I realized that I really didn't mind the uniform or what we had to wear. And so when I completed my last three years of high school, my last three were in private school. By the time I got to college, it was kind of like I had seen both worlds and I knew where I fit within both of those worlds. And I just tried to stay on that lane and it didn't matter. And and that would be my advice to other people as, as well Is it's not necessarily about what's trendy. It's about what you like. And your and self expression and being confident. If you're not confident in what you're wearing, then it's not going to work. Once you find your lane and you're confident within your lane, whether it's more urban, whether it's more preppy, whether it's a combination of the two, that's where you're going to be fine. And you will learn about you will learn a lot about yourself through that process of changing. Even if you're not forced to change, like I was. I mean, public to private, huge. I never would have. I maybe never would have made that transition that starkly unless I had gone to private school first, you yeah. know, and in public school, I was still, you know, the, the Oreo that dressed a little bit differently. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it was an interesting experience, but it, it, you know, part of what made, or part of what made me who I was and what really gave me confidence, I would say not only on the baseball field, but in life too, to say, you know what, maybe it's just me and I'm going to just stick with it going from New Orleans to London mm-hmm. <laughs> and the clothes I took from New Orleans getting to London, you know, totally different vibe. I yes. think I remember <laughs> I, had some, I had some Pelly jeans mm. from back in the day that I brought over to London, you know, with the patches during that time, the patches on the jeans was a big mm-hmm. thing. And I just remember I wore those to with a couple friends and they were just like, whoa, like, you know, of course, <laughs> of course they were so intrigued. Because first of all, I was straight out of New Orleans, so heavy yep. accent, uh, you know, black girl. And then I come with some Pelly jeans with the patches all over. So it was, <laughs> you know, they thought it was really entertaining. But the school, I mm-hmm. had to wear the, the skirts 
with yep. the button up shirt, the tie and some some loafers, you know, and oh, wow. Um, for me, I knew that wasn't my wave. <laughs> <laughs> I hated putting that on every day. Yeah, um, that's a little extreme. Yeah, but uh, definitely can relate. Like you said, starting in New Orleans, I think if I had to do it the other way around, it would have been mm-hmm. much different. Uh, I think being able to start in New Orleans and being around and growing up there, that made it an easier transition to open myself up to all of the cultures that I started yes. to immerse myself into. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely can relate to that. And um, like you said, also the point about finding what you like. For me, yes. I've always had that, uh, as they call it now, that unisex type style, you know, mm-hmm. but it was hard. It's hard to find that, like, especially back in our day, it's not as big as it is now. So, yeah, exactly. you know, at first I it was agree. like, yeah, I'm a tomboy. I want to, I don't want to wear the tight, tight jeans like a girl, but I don't want them to be baggy. So it was hard to find that mix. And so it's definitely, you know, something that you just kind of go through that ugly stage where you're trying to figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And you look back and you're like, hey, what was I wearing? You know, you were still playing while you were being the personal stylist? Yeah, at the time I was still playing. This was around the time that I got released. So I believe, yeah, by the time I got released, I think I started that year. I remember, I mean, it was a great journey. Um, I loved the product. I mean, all of the fabrics were just superior fabrics. I mean, we were working with, you know, Laura Piana and on creating fabrics for suits that could be made to measure for people. I'm like, this is great. You know, now I have a chance to actually talk about now, now I have a chance to talk about some of these items, you know, luxury items, luxury fabrics that now you're getting a discount. So I remember going in my market at the time I was living in Fort Wayne and the market for Jay Hilburn is, we'll say 35. I'll say maybe yeah. more of a 40, 40 to 65 type crowd as a black male trying to sell luxury clothing yeah. that's discounted. And it's custom and make to measure. That was a little bit tough, especially in a world where these guys really don't care. They're just going to Men's Warehouse or Joseph A. Bank and they're picking out, <laughs> hey, buy two, buy one, get two free. Yeah. <laughs> they're just taking these deals, you know, stuff made out of plastic, essentially. They're going and and just, oh, no, I'll spend $200 on that. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's hard to say for $500 more, but it's like yeah. you can have a very expensive luxury fabric that's going to fit you better than what you're going to find in the store off the rack just by spending a little bit more money. And it just seemed as though they were uninterested. But what I will also tell you is that was my first introduction into sales and really trying Mm -hmm. to explain to people what the value was for a particular product. And I found that incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. Um, I still find that today. That's it's very challenging for me to really write about or, or speak about why something is so expensive, especially when you can go to H and M and get something that looks exactly the same for much much cheaper. One, I got a chance to to really understand these are the processes that go into making these types of garments. Uh, I went down to. Uh, Dallas, where they had their their conference, first time I'd ever been to like a corporate conference. So that was an experience okay. as well. 
but and I I got to talk to all these people from all these different areas and you know other black guys doing the same thing which was good for me to see like oh you know how are you doing this how are yeah. you doing this but it would turn out you know either they're from you know Austin or you know more diverse open areas or they worked in finance or something like that where yeah. they had access to people who had more money you know granted whoever wants to call it an excuse they can call it an excuse but I would say for me that was a real problem is knowing that when I left there. I was going to go back home and I could walk into a lawyer's office or a financial institution. They just want to spend a hundred dollars on three suits. I have a few shirts here, but I have a, a ton at home, um, a ton of pants. It was a very, very, or is a very quality product. Right. One, one thing um, I thought about rewind a bit was mm-hmm. you said how they make the clothes, you know, you realize the difference in the the quality Mm-hmm. from italy which you know i play in italy so i'm kind of yeah. like oh yeah where 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 are they making these clothes mm-hmm. um compared to zara h&m talk a little bit about the process and, and why those two uh entities are so different if you're comparing the higher end fashion mm-hmm. uh, companies compared to zara h&m and of mm-hmm. course it looks great but we mm-hmm. know the quality isn't the same maybe in a year, you got to go buy those same pair of jeans and mm. the same shirt over again. First off, there's a great, if anyone has ever seen the Patriot Act on Netflix, he has a great segment on fast fashion, which explains a lot of it with much more statistics than I can give you in this setting. Um, but what I can say on the surface is when you look at, uh, we'll say something like cotton, the different regions of the world that it comes from, how it's processed or what they mm. use to make it. There are, you know, there's different ways of of processing the material that can make it, oh, this is, you know, this is low grade, this is higher grade, or this one has a sheen, you know, there, there's different ways to do that. And so when you look at companies like, you know, an H&M or Zara, they're just looking for the fastest and most efficient way possible to produce as many as they can which means that the way that it's produced, they're going to find low cost production methods in order to do that. Oh, I, for, I forgot the name of the company, actually, but there's a company, I believe they're in Germany, and they make or the way that they produce their cotton and make their shirts is using techniques from, you know, like old world techniques. So they're using like spinning machines from the 1920s, yeah. you know, <laughs> in, order to, in order to produce what they have. And when you do that, it's it's going to take a lot more time. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot more labor intensive, and that's going to raise the initial cost of the fabric. And then at that point in time, then utilizing that fabric or cutting it, hand stitching versus machines just cranking stuff out or, or, or sweatshops just cranking stuff out. You know, those are the, the, the little details um, that I think somebody can look at to, to say, okay, is this really what I want? Um, or should I go, should I go a different direction? Is there a more sustainable way for this to be done? So now you're looking at, you know, organic cotton and, you know, that's produced much more efficiently and, and economically, you know, some of my favorites are uh, bamboo and hemp, you know, things that are very environmentally friendly, but of course these fabrics cost more because right. of how they're made. It's a lot of, you know, the resources, but in terms of processing it and trying to get it into stores as fast as possible, you know, that's something that's that's really hard to do. And it's much more efficient to just use the cheapest cotton that you can possibly find. Right. Once you finish stateside, 
and mm-hmm. and you you went to Austria. That was you were always in Austria playing, and and now you're currently coaching. Correct. Mm-hmm. What shifted in regards to again your your outlook on fashion, the industry, and your personal style? How did that kind of change once you started to really immerse yourself into the European mm-hmm. lifestyle? Well, I'll say at least where I'm from or at least where I'm currently residing, there's not so much of a focus on big companies and and make as much money as possible and grow as big as possible. Mm-hmm. There's a huge emphasis on mom and pop shops here. What's a part of the community? I shop local. I buy local. We, there's mm-hmm. always a, a market out there. There's always, you know, there's one store that exists in the entire world and it's in this city. You know what I'm saying? That's, kind of the way that they think about things here and so you find a lot more you find a lot more companies that can focus on we're doing it this way because it comes out night like the design is better the the we're we're able to use different processes so we're garment dyeing or we're doing embroidery or we're appliquing and doing all these different things that you can do to a garment that might make it a little bit more expensive but the, the wearer is going to get much more out of that product. And there's much more of a story than behind that product. It came right. from here. And that's what people really want to get behind. Or, you know, when people talk about that, the, the brand story, it's this is how this is made. And, you know, the one of the companies that I'm working for now, uh, Weber and Weber, um, right now they're based out of Vienna. But I, I mean, they're using, you know, cotton and loading fabric or, or wool from, that comes from the mountains in Tyrol, you know, and then there's a special process that they use where they hot wash it. So it gets this felted texture to it and it makes it more durable. From what I've seen is more of how some of the companies out here function. It's not about, oh, let's just get as big as we can and sell Mm -hmm. things as cheaply as we can to everybody because they want them. Now I do understand that is, you know, economies of scale. That is a way to do business, but a lot of the businesses here are okay being, you know, a little bit smaller. And some of them, because of that, still have some sort of significance on the grand stage when a lot of people buy into that story. And, you know, they really love the design or they really love, you know, what the how these people care about making the clothes that they make. And that's what I saw from USA to Europe is and these people care more about what they wear, but the companies that make the clothes also care more about how they're making the clothes. Everything looks better yeah you might be able to have the same look from zara but that same look from zara that you put together from three different companies here yeah you're going to spend a little bit more money but you're going to have that outfit for substantially longer but let me look for a company that i believe in the processes i like the design i'm going to stick with you guys that's the way that i would say a, a majority of the people that i interact with here that love fashion. That's the way that they look at it. That's the way that they look at their style. That's the way that they look uh, at the surrounding company. Are you doing the similar? Are you doing something similar? Are you in sales? Are you a stylist? What are you currently well, doing with Weber and Weber? I am doing more. Uh, I'm doing more marketing. It's more email okay. newsletters. You know, the homepage. Working on the homepage. Gotcha. Of course, as a native speaker, I'm doing a lot of. Uh, translations and you know making sure every word fits where where it needs to be or it flows and it's clear and, and people can understand it. Um, so I do do a little bit more in, in that capacity um, and not so much 
you know, he's the creative, you know, he goes, he designs what he wants. He says, I want it this way. And I'm a part of the team that says, okay, I will, I will do anything that I can to help you make it appear this way. You want it distributed like this? Yes, I think that's a a great idea. And these are ideas that we can use to distribute it this way. Or these are ideas of how we can work with influencers. And so a little bit more in a, in a broad capacity, um, but just trying to bring some of, say more of my knowledge outside of fashion, more of my knowledge in web design and, and working with Photoshop to be able to create different, you know, invitations or, or uh, cards or giveaways, different processes, how we want to reach customers. It's more of my expertise in that area that I'm using for the business than it is my design. So I'm really learning the design and the production. Um, I'm learning all of that from right. working with them. But it's been a, a, a great experience. I couldn't have, couldn't have asked for anything better. And I mean, it sounds like you're learning a lot and getting a, a wealth of knowledge, which is key, mm-hmm. which is key. You know, you got to start with that knowledge base in order to go out and do your own thing. So I heard you talk about the influencer part. I'm always mm-hmm. wondering, uh, especially the connection between the overseas athlete and the companies mm-hmm. um, that maybe want to still promote their products to a global audience. However, mm-hmm. they stay, they maintain that small local feel, but they still mm-hmm. can can sell to the global audience. What are they looking for uh, when they talk about influencers? Is it all about the level of followers or are they looking for those micro influencers? What's their thought process from the company side on that? Yeah, you're putting me on the spot with this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, with, with our Weber and Weber specifically, um, we haven't done a lot with influencers per se. I find the I'm very torn over the influencer culture, having taken some pictures myself and put them up and haven't seen what other influencers are doing. You know, there's a there's a lot out there that I've read and, and studied that's okay, do influencers really matter? You know, in terms of maybe your brand being seen, okay, yeah, for sure. Does it directly translate into sales? Maybe not. The way that I think about that influencer marketing is more just from a brand awareness perspective. So I think about it, what do I want my brand to be? Or who who do I want to wear my brand? What's the story behind it? Are there other people that have similar stories or portray the story that, they embody the story of this brand and have the ability to show that to the world, regardless of whether it results in an increase in sales or not. Um, But I think being understood, or at least from my perspective, being understood, though, is also a huge part of that. That's where I would go when looking for influencers to pump your products is who are these people that, you know, embody and, and embody the story of your brand and will represent the brand well or tell right. the story of your brand through their own story. You know, there's a lot of people, everybody, you know, wants to be a doggone influencer yeah. now. And, and it's like, one, it's not that easy. And two, it's, you know, everyone wants to be coming almost to the point where it's cheesy, you know, and, yeah. and that was one of the reasons I stopped kind of taking pictures was I was doing a lot of work for not really receiving much back. Now, could I have done some more work and reached out to more brands and all that? Yeah, of course. Um, but coming from the perspective, I mean, I was a baseball player. I'm used to not really having a lot of money. So even being able to showcase, you know, what I had, it's all right. I, I, I can't 
literally can't yeah. keep up with what's the latest or what these new companies are doing. I can't buy that. So if they're not going to give it to me for free, you don't want to go around asking for freebies all the time. Yeah. But if they're not going to give it to me for free, okay, what's another way that I that I can represent this brand or talk more about this brand? That was where, at least in my personal journey, I started bringing that stuff into the blog. I can at least talk about this brand. I can at least present this to you through an affiliate spectrum without having to be the actual influencer of the brand. But the brand might look at that and say, okay, well, you writing about us is not the same as you wearing it. So there's always going to be some some push, pull, give, take. There's always going to, you know, but the bottom line is really to look at what's the story that you want your brand or what's the story of the brand? What's the story you want to tell? And the people that are out there representing you, are those really the people that you want out there representing you, regardless of sales or not? Is that someone that you want out there representing you? He can have, right. a, you know, a million followers and you not like the way, you know, that he lived yeah. his life. Is it worth it to have then your brand associated with that guy's story and what he does as opposed to, you know what, let me go to this micro nano influencer, you know, that's that's been popping up the last year. Oh, we want people, you know, with smaller followers. I'm like, I've been, I, I've had a small following, you know, yeah. nobody ever coming, coming to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Some of the things I think about with brands and the athlete abroad, I feel like the lifestyle is completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the things we do <clears throat> are different. And so I've always thought about that, you know, because I think there's some really dope people. And again, when we talk about athletes and mm-hmm being influencers you know there's some really dope individuals that are athletes but they immerse themselves in this lifestyle abroad and you know they have a little bit of a a fashion to them and so I always thought about that how has your mindset changed abroad like I know we talked about the disconnect now we Mm -hmm. feel from the American ways talk a little bit about you know your mindset now especially with everything going on how do you feel you know, America is not so much home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I would say the, the number one change is really the pace of life. I believe that's been personally beneficial to me. And I would urge anyone who ever has the chance to come to Europe and travel. One, you should do it. Like, please come. Two, you have to be open. You cannot come and say, well, they don't do it like America. Well, it's not America. And, and you really, that has to be solid in your mind. You have to be open yeah. to the fact that it's not going to be anything close to what you think or to what you are used to. And you have to figure out a way to operate in this environment. But once you learn how to operate in the environment, you see how much slower the pace of life is. Mm-hmm. And, and I really love living where I live here. It really reminds me of my hometown. There's about 200,000 less people. And I would say this town is a little bit more modern the emphasis on family over work. You know what I mean? The emphasis on, you know, if, if you don't want to go to college, that's fine. You're going to go to these, to these, to another school, a different school that's going to then really prepare you to work a specific job to contribute to this country, to contribute to this region. And that really becomes the lifestyle. So the work is something that happens. You have to do it. But it's not you have to be the best person all the time at it. The life is just so much different. And I enjoy being around people that 
enjoy their community yeah. much more than they just enjoy their work all the time. You know, for work, they're kind of like, ah, you know, it's work. It's what it is. I go to work. And then, hey, we get to go to the, to the club and play baseball. You yeah. know, they're really happy to do that. Or, hey, there's an off day. There's a holiday. All right. You know, we're not going to have practice. Or, hey, coach, I'm not going to be at practice because it's a holiday and my family, we're going up to the lake and spending time at the lake. You know, in the United States, it's like, okay, if you don't come, you're not playing. It doesn't work like that here. You know, maybe even in soccer, a sport like soccer that they hold in such high esteem. I mean, they have a huge break of, of time in the summer. Why? People are, are going on vacation and they just accept yeah. that and they allow that. And it's so much more enjoyable to operate in that environment and not a 24-7, 365. If you're not right, doing yeah. something for me, then get out of here. It, that shouldn't be what life is. Uh, you know, I had already brought up, you know, healthcare and, and, and stuff like that. And I really don't want to get I don't want to get too political, but I would just say mm -hmm. that the way that their society is set up. Yes, it is more social. But the way that it's set up is everybody helps each other out all of the time. Yeah. You know, now on the flip side. Yeah. Are there less entrepreneurs? Yes. Are there still yeah. entrepreneurs? Yes. But the bottom line is everyone in the society, everyone is treated the same when it comes to their human rights. Yeah. For the most part, you know, for the most part. But that has been really interesting to see. And it's been a very, very enjoyable environment uh, to, to live in. These people actually care or it seems as, as though these people actually care, you know, about me, even though I'm not from here. It's, it's more about the person. It's about the work ethic and, you know, what you do do. And I find myself getting way too being way too American sometimes, you know, especially on the baseball. Field. Like, hey, if you don't do this, you're not playing. No, 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 no. The kid will quit. And we, we need him. Yeah. On the team. You know, we're trying to build our club up. And so over the last over the course of these last four and a half years, I think at this point in time. I'm a very energetic person. I have a lot of energy. It's really been able to to kind of slow me down, to allow right. me to sit back and relax and, and to be more creative and to see the bigger picture without just feeling stressed out all the time. And I got to do this and I got to do that. And oh man, now I'm sick. I, I can't go to the doctor because I don't have insurance. Like those yeah. are not things that I have to think about at this point in time. Those are not things that, that stress me out. And that's a very, very enjoyable feeling. I think I recently wrote in like my own personal journey. Um, I was just talking about that carpenter, you know, like the days of when there was the carpenter, there was mm -hmm. the cook, there was the, the, the mechanic and everyone mm -hmm. did their job and everyone did their little piece to make sure the society continued to go. And mm -hmm. it was like now that's deemed wrong it's you know it's like it's deemed that you are less of and you're not uh working hard if you just want yes. to focus on one piece of the, your passion you know that yes. carpenter that's all he did but also we've lost that lack of trust in the community in the society yes. so yes. the carpenter back in the day he could focus on that and he didn't need to go worry about knowing finances because he knew the finance guy was going to do right by him Yes. And the finance guy knew the carpenter was going to build what he needed that was going to be reliable, sustainable yes. and everything, you know. And it's like now you have to be this superhuman because you can't rely on your finance guy to not try to do your dirty if you don't understand. And yeah. you can't rely <laughs> on this person, you know, so you always have to be trying to know every a little bit of everything. And it's just mm -hmm. 
uh, it just makes it very stressful. And I think the European lifestyle, especially being in Italy, of course, <laughs> they move slow. And sometimes I catch yeah. myself being American, but yeah. I mean, they enjoy the life. They enjoy the family. You know, they enjoy their, yeah. their nice cafe and they, they're prideful that, yeah, my cafe is the best in the world. Our pasta mm-hmm. is the best in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, in America, it's just it's a totally different mindset. Um, so mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you on that. And we've talked about that as well. You know, with me and I've always liked fashion, but never again. I was always basketball and then it was other things. But I've always mm-hmm. been interested in in fashion. However, I am a female basketball player. So, again, I don't have the money to buy <laughs> those things I probably would want to buy. Mm-hmm. But with the, the new, the increase of... Black high-end fashion designers. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any that you've come across that you that you you like, or you you kind of enjoy what they're doing with their brands? You know, I would say Virgil Abloh and and Off White, mm-hmm. very very intriguing to me. Just the way that the way that he thinks about fashion, and you know, I'm gonna change the game by doing this. Uh, I, to give you a specific example, oh, he came out with these Chuck Taylors, um, mm-hmm. and there, you know, there's writing on them. There's, you know, it looks like a zip tie. I don't even know what you call it. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like hanging off the side, they're like kind of clear, see-through, written all over. I, I love that that mix of here's a, a classic element, and we're just gonna we're gonna throw it off. You know, that's why I, I think he names the brand off white. You know, here's something that we see is basic and we're just going to throw it off and put stuff on there that, and you're going to be like, well, why? Why is the writing on there? Why does it say, why does it say vulcanize on there? Yeah. <laughs> Those are, it's just cool, you know? And that's what really uh, attracts me to to him and his brand. Or I remember I read a magazine, it was in Vogue. This lady was wearing this off-white um, asymmetrical blazer dress. And there was just something about it. I'm like, man, you know, I really like this. And then I go to look, you know, of course, at the comments and then it's like, or, or, you know, what she's wearing. It's like off white blazer. I'm like, yeah, of course. You know, this is exactly right up his alley. So he's been somebody that that I've really begun to to look at in terms of because he did a lot of work with Kanye as well um, to just look at from the, the creativity perspective and his ambition to just when he said he wanted to do it he just went and and did it we'll say just to to stay weird to to stay a little bit off you know maybe the pocket's a little bigger than what people want it to be that's what it's supposed to be yeah he's someone who kind of embraces that and 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 i've embraced him the same just thinking of we've all and and how i want the brand of course it's not in in fashion however Mm -hmm. it's still taking those elements of how we be different how do we try to uh, change the idea of the modern athlete, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that fashion exactly. connects with it as well. So we're going to wrap up with a, a segment that we call uh, the starting five. And okay. basically I'll ask you a question and you answer with, you know, one line and, and why. Okay. Uh, so your favorite singer or rapper? Isaiah Rashad, his perspective, Midwest guy, and his perspective on life is extremely interesting. It's it's a lot more down and low. It's not, you know, yeah. pop a bottles in the club. It's, 
you know, real life, yeah. these are issues that I'm dealing with. So it, oh, anyone who has a chance to listen to all his CDs are great. And Isaiah, if you're listening, we are waiting <laughs> on that third CD. I've been waiting a long time. My friends and I come out with that. Yeah, I like Isaiah Rashad. I have him on the in the playlist as well. Um, what is your favorite city? Amsterdam. Amsterdam yeah. is unlike any place I've ever been in the world from a design perspective and uh, the canals, the way the streets are done, the bikes and the, the colors. You see a lot of different colors, you know, blacks and grays and reds and yet like all together. Just. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a, a very nice place to be. Yeah, I loved Amsterdam. I, I felt like every small business had like a high end <laughs> logo person or designer yeah. that worked on their company. Because I yeah. was just like, oh my goodness, like I love the aesthetic of this company. Oh, mm-hmm. the aesthetic of this company. I'm like, everybody has great aesthetic and great yep. design concepts. Um, yeah, Amsterdam, definitely, I agree, is a great, great city. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite book or your most recent? favorite book that you've you've read so i just got done reading what you want business or or pleasure so i just got reading this uh, i think it's good for the times just got done reading this book called how to be anti-racist by ibram x kendi that was a great read um it's something i would definitely i would definitely uh push out and i would like to um to post about that later this week actually but it just does a great job of you know, really laying out where racism came from, how people see it, what are all the different angles, and then what can we do or, or how can we think about this differently ourselves mm-hmm. moving forward in the way that we treat other people. All right. Uh, favorite movie? Say Life is Beautiful. Uh, Life is Beautiful. Yeah. Set in World War Two. Guy, I think an Italian guy actually. His his family's Jewish. His wife and his son are Jewish. They get taken away to a concentration camp, and he decides that he's going with them. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> you you got to you wow. got to watch the movie. But yeah, it's wow. a very powerful movie. Mm-hmm. Definitely have to check check that one out. All right, let's go with your favorite designer. You know what? I'm I'm gonna go back to to Virgil. I think there's. There's just something ab- about what he does or how he throws off everything. He's always in the spotlight. It's always new. It's always trendy. And I feel like he's not following what anyone else is doing. He's mm-hmm. just, he's doing what he wants to do himself. But I will say also, I'm going to sneak in another one. Uh, Diane von Thurstenberg, the way that she uses print, because um, I'm very into women's fashion as well. I love to read Vogue and and I don't understand everything about women's fashion because there's so much. But her incorporation of print incorporate nature aspects into her designs because she said nature is always beautiful. So you can never go right. wrong with nature. So getting your your colors or your designs from nature and, and or people who don't even think they can do prints. Prints are fun. We, I might have to to get you on my to be my personal stylist. You know, mix the, <laughs> the men's fashion and women's fashion. Yeah, be for sure. For me, <laughs> for sure. I'm I'm down. You know, you know my email. You know where you can find me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay, last one. Your first celebrity crush. You know what? I'm not even sure. I know her name, or I know her name. I know her Instagram. Zazie Beats. She was in Atlanta. Gambino's girlfriend in Atlanta. I would say that was, even though that is still kind of recent, that was really the first 
the first girl that I was like, oh man, I, I need to meet her. And yeah. I remember they went to, uh, it was after I came out here, there's an episode where they go to uh, Oktoberfest mm-hmm. and she speaks German and all this stuff. And I was like, oh man, I was just, I yeah. was taken away. <laughs> I was taken away. Um, it sucks. I only know her Instagram name is that, you know, that, that makes me feel bad. It makes me sound bad, but I mean, that's, that's how I know her. So yeah, okay. uh, but definitely her for sure. Awesome, man. Well, we're going to wrap it up. I appreciate you coming on. Um, learned a lot actually. And, and, but I definitely hope you continue on your journey. I hope, you know, everything with baseball, of course, in Austria, uh, continues to, to be, great for you and continues to work out and maybe i'll have to set me buy me a ticket so i could come visit you in austria oh, yeah for sure for sure and thank you for having me i i really appreciate uh being on the show and and i really like what you're doing and, and where you're going with weevolve and as you always say we we got to stick together in this and it's it's been awesome to to see from the first point that you started to to where you have come now. So I really appreciate, you know, being able to, to share my story on this show with you in this setting. This is awesome. Thank you so much. And of course, to the listeners, we'll share all the information around Love It Lifestyle and, and you um, and your journey in the show notes. So uh, appreciate right. it, man. Welcome to another episode of Unguarded presented by Weevolve. I'm your host, Jory Davis. Our guest today is professional baseball player Chris Squires. He is currently a player coach in Austria for the Durban Indians. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> After graduating our alma mater, IU, Chris spent some time in the minor leagues. Uh, he bounced around a little bit. However, during that time, he found his passion for fashion. And he... he quickly realized that this was something he would make his dual career in the episode we talk a little bit about the challenges he faced you know as he started that career especially being in the midwest where people don't really worry about fashion that much and we talk about how he discovered that his love for fashion ran deep and it was something that kind of ran in the family and so this episode is is really fun um it really changes it up because we don't hear much about uh, players, especially our guys uh, in the sports industry that are into fashion. So we really dig deep with Chris. He's a great guy. I'm sure you guys are going to learn a lot, but also enjoy the vibe. So here's Chris Squires getting unguarded. <laughs> 